I'm Orion Cooling. And I'm Zach Meyer. And this is Shadow Carriers. Shadow Carriers is a curated collection of disturbia assembled by two lifelong storytellers, sonically mixed to bring you into the darkness and out again. We invite you to sit with us in the shaft of moonlight and, if you're brave enough, to step into the shadow with us. One of the oldest roads in New Orleans is called Bienville. It's named after one of the first French brothers who would establish the colony here. Is that him? Do you see anybody else who looks like a 49er? This road has had another name in days past. It was called Shell Road. And on this road, on the outskirts of town, a grizzled old-timer was walking into a trap. He's supposed to be rich. He doesn't look like much. Watch your mouth. Just get ready. The men sprung from darkness, the first one landing a blow with a live oak club that his criminal gang was known for. They were called the Live Oak Gang, named for the use of these very cudgels cut from the infamous trees in New Orleans. But the old-timer, the one called the Californian, had salt. He wasn't going down without a fight. He dropped to his knees from the force of the blow. He grabbed a handful of shells and threw them at the faces of his attackers, Ah. temporarily blinding them. The Californian picked up the shovel he carried, the only tool he brought back with him from gold prospecting, and swung it. It hit one of the highwaymen square in the chest, sending him reeling. Chuckling, the Californian muttered, (laughs) Not bad for an old man, eh? He then backhanded the other bandit. The bandit felt like he'd been hit by a ton of bricks. Stunned. How could a man, an old man with a long white beard, strike with such a force and why in the name of God did his arms feel like they were made of stone when they hit him? The second bandit crawled on his back, scurrying away from the Californian. The older man picked up his shovel and raised it over his head to bring it down on the highwayman's face. Young bloods, you ain't the first to try to take me down. That's when the outlaw's partners leapt upon the Californian and slit his throat from ear to ear. Yeah? Well, we're gonna be the last. The Californian sank to his knees, blood pouring forth. You idiot. Now we can't tell us where the treasure is. It's gotta be in his hut. We'll find it. Ain't that right, old man. You ain't that clever. But there on Shell Road, kneeling on the white powder-crushed shell, red blood standing out like a cardinal against the winter snow, the old man wryly smiled, winked at the bandits, and then died. It ain't here. I'm telling you, there's no treasure here at all. We gotta do something with the body. Working fast, the men shoveled over the blood-soaked shells of Bienville Road and masked their crime, going home with nothing more than just a few coins and one Dixie bill. The two outlaws slipped into the shadows and out of the bayous, losing themselves in the low-hanging fog and to history. By the very next night, the haunting began. The row was a popular thoroughfare, and the carriages of New Orleans best and used it to get down the outlining commerce outside of town. People riding the old shell roads said their horses would panic. They would look to see where the horses were shying away from, and they could see a white dusted cloud manifest into an old man with his throat slit and his mouth grinning, waving his arms at the carriage. As the panicked drivers would roar to the horses to pick up their speed, the passengers would pass by this grizzled and grisly ghost as he would reach out for them, hands seeming to signal for them to stay away from him. The local law was a sheriff by the name of Blanza. He received several messages on the very first night of his operation. The next night, he received more. 
Whatever was being seen on Old Shell Road was being encountered regularly, but by the descriptions, it didn't seem like a matter of outlaws. It seemed like a matter of the undead. It is said that the sheriff packed two pistols, a club, and a bottle of holy water before he set out. His vigil did not encounter the ghost of the Californian, but he did round up several other outlaws who were laying in wait along Old Shell Road. With these vagrants in tow, he told the gentry that it was now safe again to travel the path of Bienville. Again the sound of carriage wheels crushing the shell, again the fine carriages tracked along the road, this time with torches lit and men carrying firearms as protection against a being that bullets could not kill. Yet again, the visage of the Californian was seen, with his outstretched hands appearing from a cloud of white shell dust, his beard like Spanish moss, waving from his face, blood pouring unnaturally like a torrent from his throat, waving his hands at the carriages as though warning them away from a worse haunting than himself. When the sheriff heard that the hauntings were back, despite his best efforts, he let out a frustrated sigh. It was bad enough that there were no clues as to what happened to the Californian. The Californian was known to live just off the road in a hut in the backwoods. The old man had been there for years. The story went, he had done rather well for himself, panhandling for gold, but that he couldn't stand to live among society, so he stayed on the outskirts. The sheriff knew that he had at least one relative in town, but he wasn't sure of exactly how they were related. He was my uncle the young man said when the sheriff asked him. His full name was Adam Quigley. And if he's appearing as a bloody ghost, we have to assume that the man is dead. Well, Mr. Quigley, we have not found anybody or any scene of a crime, but I think it's fair to assume. My wife, Dealey, will be distraught. Gracious, I am distraught. He was dear to us both. The couple were relatively new to New Orleans. He was a maker of extracts, and his wife was the owner of a bakery specializing in gourmet pastries. I met him, my uncle, in the most peculiar circumstances. He actually saved us on that very road. Some months before. God, oh, where, where am I? Oh, my head. Easy there, young blood. You get thrown from a horse? No. No, I... I believe I was robbed. Ugh. That happens out here on Old Shell Road more often than not. Come on. Let's get you patched up. Name's Adam. Most folks call me the Californian. Quigley and the Californian traveled to the old man's hut. Mentor, leaning heavily upon Adam, dazed and dizzy, he was sat down so the Californian could tend to his wounds. I'd offer you a drink, but what I got in that jug ain't fit for guests, he said, and then took a swig from it. But the old man was handy with a sewing needle and thread, and quickly stitched Mentor's scalp. There you go, young man. Ride as rain. My name uh, is Mentor Quigley. You don't say. You hail from New Orleans. Originally. My family is from Northeast Connecticut. I moved to New Orleans when I was quite young. You don't say. Any chance your father's name is Matthew? Mentor was surprised by the question. He explained that indeed his father was named Matthew, the son of Israel Quigley from Connecticut. Well, the world is almighty small. Do you happen to know the name of your grandfather's brother? Mentor paused, and that dawned upon him. Adam. The man who rescued him was his long-lost great-uncle. 
There's been some unspoken split in the family before Adam went looking for his fortune in California, and for the most part, no one had ever heard of him again. Matthew, Adam's nephew, mentor's father, was not faring well at all. Adam said it wouldn't be proper for him to go visit Matthew in New Orleans due to the unspoken family conflict. He asked Mentor to send his father his uncle's regards. Mentor insisted that bygones would be bygones and that his uncle would be welcome there. There was no saving Matthew from his dance with the angel of death, but grace would be well received, and for it might make that dance a little lighter upon the well-worn slippers of the aged dying man. I did right well for myself out in California, right well. I believe you're right, Mentor. Let's go pay the family a visit. I can put you up in my burrow, Nellie, and we can make our way into New Orleans. And so began several months of visits on Sundays from Adam, otherwise known as the Californian. The irascible old man was lively in conversation with many adventurous tales to tell about his time out west prospecting for gold. Never a visit went by without him leaving a $10 bill in the family Bible at the beginning of the book of Matthew. Mentor always gave it to his father, Matthew, and Matthew always gave it to his daughter-in-law, Dealey. And now you say he's dead and his apparition haunts Bienville Road. Yes, and since he will not appear for me, I believe it must be you who goes to help him find his final rest. Would you like a pistol or holy water? No, I do not believe he will harm me. I will ask Dealey to come along. They always got along so well. Dealey and Mentor spoke that night over supper. To think their newfound relation was murdered, his body missing. It felt dense, heavy like the New Orleans summer air. All for a treasure that no one had ever seen. That he had only spoken of once around them. He had said, I am positively lined with gold. I have a secret hiding place. I ain't never told no one. Except in Nellie, of course. Nellie and some beetles and some grubs. <laughs> but no human. When the time is right, I'll make sure you're done right by it. So, late in the evening, they packed up their wagon with provisions for the excursion, including a shovel and a piece of sailcloth to sit upon while they wait, or to use for rain cover. They set out towards the old man's shack, traveling along Shell Road. There's the path to the shack. We can pull the wagon over here. Easy there. Whoa, girl. Searching the shack, they found nothing. Not even the Californian's old mule Nellie. Dealey was secretly grateful for this. She didn't think she could have accepted finding the body of that poor old donkey. The only thing of note at all in the hut was the old Bible. Well worn from years of use and travel, Dealey noticed that in the corner, a well-used Dixie note was sticking out towards the front of the Bible. She flipped it open, and there appeared to be a bit of charcoal marking a verse in Job. She had wondered if this indicated that Adam felt like Job, isolated away from his family's love. She had hoped that Mentor and her affection for the old man had brought him some peace before his life's violent turn. Should we go to the road where they say they have seen him? No, let's wait until midnight. That's when ghosts are most often seen, I'm told. And so they did. Sitting in the darkness in the old man's shack, strange music of swamp life filled the air. Then a noise so peculiar yet so familiar danced through the heavy air. Not a warble or the call of the raven, but something that clapped and bounced along the bayou air that made the hairs in the back of their necks rise. <laughs> Could that have been the sound of cypress branches rubbing together? 
or perhaps the sound of some sort of swamp frog? As they both try to justify the noise, it dawned on them at the same time. Surely not. It sounds just like him. Only as through the calliope of the natchez across town? Something that sounded very much like their great uncle's raspy laughter resonated. Loon-like. Midnight came fast. It seemed that they had not waited more than a few minutes when Mentor looked at his watch and saw that it was the witching hour. Uncle Adam was always prompt, and so shall we be. They would never forget how easy it was to come upon the apparition. It should have been harder, a conjuring, but this manifested so fast, like ball lightning, like a clap of thunder. The commotion! As they reached the embankment of the old shell road, a carriage full of revelers were bearing down on the spot. The white light explosion and a specter of shell road hung floating off the ground, fully formed. The horses saw the apparition, first rearing back with the carriage behind them skidding to a halt. The men and women in the carriage, lit by torchlight, let out screams of unadulterated terror as the Californian held in the air in front of them. A torrent of blood streaming from his gaping neck, fountain-like. Blood seeming to spray like the wake of some great whale's tail smashing upon the ocean, but yet not a drop hit the oyster-shell white road, or speckled his long white beard. The carriage and its riders, along with its maddened horses, bolted leaving Delhi and Mentor to watch the ghost of their uncle, Adam, the Californian, melt into the Shell Road. There was a rise in the road from recent work upon it. Mentor looked at Dealey and Dealey nodded. Mentor began to dig. The clink of shovel on oyster shell filled the air. The scrape of gravel and the noises of Quigley's exhortations were a steady rhythm to the pounding heartbeat of Delia's anticipation. Within moments, the sound of shovel-hitting metal was heard. The metal box they opened was completely flush with gold coins, stacked deep. He had been murdered so close to the spot he had hidden his treasure, his blood may have made a proverbial X. Both of the Quigleys were astonished at the amount of money. But that astonishment was complicated by the feelings of grief and trauma of losing their newly found relation in such a horrifically violent way. As Mentor held the chest heavy with gold, Dealey looked into the small crater left behind in the shell road. A steady stream of beetles walked almost parade-like from the hole into some sort of insect-built tunnel further into the embankment of the road. Mentor, didn't he say he told the beetles where he buried his treasure? You don't suppose? And so he dug, following the line the insects had given him, and within moments his shovel hit the leather of a man's boot. There they uncovered what was left of the old Californian's body. Remarkably preserved, his yellowish skin was still strong, though his eyes were now resting places for the beetles. With hopes to give him a proper burial, they went to pull him out of his shell grave, No ancient mariner had ever been buried with so many shells. No corpse of a mermaid had ever found such a shell lake resting place. But as they pulled him from the hole, the old man seemed to weigh four or five times more than he should. He was remarkably heavy. Every limb felt like stone-embedded skin, scale-like, armor-like. The old man weighed must have been nearly close to 400 pounds. They knew this man. They had clasped his hand in friendship and hugged him in familiar love, and never had he seemed to have this sort of weight. After dragging him to a nearby cypress tree to rest him against it, and breathing heavily, they looked at each other in wonder. How in the name of heaven could he weigh so much? Dealey's eyes opened wide with wonder, and then a possible understanding. Job. What? 
the book of Job. She ran back to the hutch and grabbed the old tattered Bible. Opening it, she read the marked verse. My flesh is clothed with worms and a crust of dirt. My skin hardens and runs. He must have known he would be attacked. He was taking his treasure to the grave. It's embedded in his skin. It's that concoction of his, the alkaline alcohol. He's gardened to his skin. At that moment, the old man's arm fell across his own lap and made a distinctive clinking noise. And that sound, that mysterious sound, was heard in the air again. (laughs) They could have sworn it was his laughter. Now the young couple faced an impossible situation. If they brought him back, they would likely be accused of his murder, especially if they announced they had found the fortune. It would look like a setup. So they hatched a plan. By the time the two of them had loaded the Californian, he was wearing Dealey's broad hat and shawl. Dealey was wearing Mentor's outcoat and hat with her hair tucked in. And if the gods of the Delta were willing, a few folks might see what looked like Mentor and Dealey returning from a late excursion. Mentor would discreetly make his way to the rear entrance of their courtyard. Fate dictated the next part of the plan. The very next morning, Matthew, Mentor's father, passed away peacefully and no one seemed to notice the extra weight in the coffin as it was carried to the cemetery. There was a comment on the burial being in-ground rather than above-ground tomb, but Mentor quickly had the coin to pay for the plot, and in the end, that's what mattered the most. Some noticed the Quigleys had gently stepped up in fashion, and that in the several weeks and months after Matthew passed, they seemed to have secured the funding needed to open the extract shop and for Dealey's pastry shop to expand. But no one knew, and never did until now know, that there were two bodies buried in that coffin. The last time I looked on that marker, it lists Matthew Quigley, mentor and his wife, and their descendants and a name, Adam. Progress replaced Shell Road with superstructure, and if the Californian still haunts his murder site, we lose him now to LED headlights and apathy. But in the simple grave marker, you can still hear him laughing. This episode was written by Orion Cooling, directed and performed by Zach Meyer and Orion Cooling. Production manager is Angela Davis Cooling. Associate producer is Sarah Perry. Proofreading and editing by Katie Sullivan. Soundscaping and engineering by Zach Meyer. Guest vocals by Matt Calhoun, Jacob Leal, Dave Lyson, Don Zena Moon, Ryan Bond, and the Meyer Nephews. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to support our work, become a patron of the podcast and gain access to exclusive content. This month, take a deep dive with Orion on the sources for this story. Read why this story isn't told on the standard tours, and get insight on one of the more controversial ghost story anthologies of New Orleans. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com shadowcarriers. If you'd like to buy our storytellers a drink, you can donate to our Venmo at shadowcarriers. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay connected and up to date on upcoming episodes. And most importantly, if you've enjoyed your time with us today, please consider subscribing to Shadow Carriers and leaving a review on your podcast provider. As a small podcaster, reviews and subscriptions really help us grow our listener base and influence the mysterious and chaotic spirits known as algorithms. We've served you these stories for a peek to the other side. But as you leave us, we wish you fair winds winds and following skies. skies. Hey, Henry and Leo, what says we go treasure hunting down Old Shell Road? (laughs) 